Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome. This is episode 101 of the Osher Gensberg podcast. Not as drunk, not as crazy. <laughs> I don't know, does that work as a subtitle? Uh, this is episode 101 with Rosie Waterland. You can find Rosie on Twitter at R-O-S-I-E-W-A-T-E-R-L-A-N-D. More about Rosie in just a moment. If you're new to the show, welcome. Hi, how you doing? I'm Osher. I work on telly and radio and other things. And I make a podcast every week and I have done for a while now. There's a hundred other episodes for you to explore. Sometimes there's people that you know, sometimes people that you don't know, but I guarantee you, if I can humbly say to you that each of these shows is a super authentic, real conversation with someone who's figured out a way to get paid to do what they love. And it's awesome that I get to do this. So hope you get to listen to some of them and I hope you get, hopefully, hopefully you get inspired by some of them because that's, you know why i do it anyway thanks heaps for all the emails this week send osher email at gmail.com is my email address lots of messages came through about episode 100 with james matheson thank you very very much it's just before this one in the podcast app if that's what you're listening to so yes if you open it up go down one there that's the one right there you can hit download it'll 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 download while you listen to this one it's gonna be okay okay um Speaking of which, you can subscribe and this show will appear in your phone on a Sunday if you're on the other side of the dateline or on a Monday if you're on this part of the world, um, but it comes out every week. Uh, to check in with you, to check in, um, I'm back in training on my bicycle for an event that I can't quite talk about just yet, but it's a biggie. It's a biggie. Yeah, so I'm back in the saddle, I'm on the bike, I'm training most days and I haven't ever done a bicycle event. I've done lots of running events, but I've never done a bicycle event. And it's very, very different. Um, I fell in love with cycling just to enjoy the ride, 
just to ride out with my friends, to push myself to go quite long distances just on my own power, um, getting to enjoy the feeling of being 50 kilometers away from where I parked the car and knowing that I got there under my own power and I get to ride back. That's a, that's a really cool feeling. Um, but I've never had a cycling goal to train towards and it's very different how it, it has shifted my mindsets, particularly on things like climbing and stuff like that. Um, it's very different when I'm riding toward a particular goal. I'm sure there's a metaphor in here somewhere about goals, about having a clear uh, idea of what success looks like. Um, I'd imagine it's pretty simple. What do you get? Well, okay. So you just figure out where you're going, um, figure out how you're going to get there. And then you just push the pedals one at a time until you do. You don't do the whole thing at once. You just do it one bit at a time. Um, I think that's the, uh, you get what I'm talking about. Anyway, I hope everything's okay wherever you are. Things are going okay with me. Uh, new psychiatrist that I told you about last week, he's a good guy. He's fit. He's healthy. Younger than me, which is weird because I'm old now. Uh, very well dressed. Goodness, I feel like a hobo whenever I'm in his office. Uh, we're getting along well so far, which is nice. Um, we tweaked my meds again, um, which is interesting. Uh, for anybody who's uh, living a life medicated, you'll know what I mean. There's, there's a couple of days where everything's a bit kind of topsy-turvy for a little while as your brain starts to cope with being on a lower or a higher dose of things um, than it's used to. I, it, it's a bit how I feel. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a lower dose at the moment, so that's what we've just kind of pulled one little Jenga block out a bit more, just hoping the tower doesn't topple. Um, so I'm wrestling with my brain a bit more than I used to. Uh, it's a bit like how I feel at the end of the day. Now I'm, I'm wearing hearing aids. Um, there's a lot more information coming in than I'm used to when I've got my hearing aids in. And by the end of the day, I'm just shattered because... I'm just hearing 40% more stuff than I used to. Um, and it's a lot of information. And that's, a, I guess that's how I describe it. When you, when I come back off, when I back off the meds a little, my brain just goes, wow. <laughs> Regardless though, let me tell you about my guest today. Um, my guest today is Rosie Waterland. She's a, an author from Sydney, Australia, who's just released her first book, The Anti-Cool Girl. Rosie shot to fame in Australia in 2013 by writing internet blog posts, recaps of the TV show that I work on, The Bachelor. And Rosie puts these on a, on a very successful women's website called mamamia.com.au. And these, they just went bananas. Bananas how much traffic they got. I won't read any out. I'll let you go and find them, but they're, they're quite funny. And they're quite satirical in a very beautifully crafted way that, that she pokes fun without being mean, which is a very tough thing to do that she, she's very, very good at. It. They're very, very funny, but Rosie's story and how she got to be where she is today is unfortunately quite a difficult one to hear. She and I talk at length and in great detail about her difficult childhood in the foster care system, her time being made a ward of the state at 13 and the things that happened to her during that time. Now, it's only right that I should put a trigger warning right here because Rosie and I discuss some very heavy issues in this conversation, alcoholism, sexual abuse, addiction, and suicide. If there's anything in there that you think might set you off, just fast forward to the last 20 minutes where we talk about The Bachelor. <laughs> okay. Um, but if you do listen to this and you do hear things that do set you off or, or trigger perhaps a, a long forgotten memory or something. It's, it's just super, it's super important to get professional help quickly. 
either from our helpline or, or from your regular doctor or, or talk to a friend about it because these things have a way of festering away until they eat you from the inside if you don't take care of them, as you'll hear Rosie talk about. Rosie is a one-of-a-kind woman, and I'm very, very grateful that she agreed to do this because hers is an important story, and I'm very glad that I can share it with you. So enjoy this conversation in a small shed, in a big room, in the fashionista, new media, social blogging agency district of Sydney. They're all there in that same street. It's weird. With the lovely, smart, and very funny Rosie Waterland. This is also, what a yeah. setup you've got. Well, here. you guys have got the same mics. Roadie oh, Procaster. Oh. Yeah, they're awesome. Get that right in there. Right get in right there. on it. Close. Yeah, get right on it. Okay. We're far away. Mm. It's weird being this far away from you. Are you normally like? Yeah, yeah. I'm normally, normally over my kitchen table. Intimate. So, yeah, I normally do this in my house. Yeah. But I know you're busy. Well, thanks for coming in. Hey, thank you. I know you're, it's a it's a batch day, so you got to. It's a batch day. Batch day. You got to be here. Hi, yeah. Rosie. Hi. Where are we? Can you tell people where we are? We are in Mamma Mia's fancy ads podcast studio. Which is essentially <laughs> just a little shed. <laughs> it's a shed you've got from Bunnings. Yeah. And you've put um, soundproof soundproofing stuff. on the outside. Soundproofing stuff. And we've put a table in here. And What's this office? And some, well, what do you mean? What's this office? What is this office? What happens in here? Oh, Mamma Mia. Yeah. Well, we run the Mamma Mia Women's Network. So Which we've got is, a few websites. Yeah. Mia Friedman's our publisher. Then we've got. Uh, Mamma Mia, our website for um, like women in their 20s and 30s. We've got Debrief Daily, which is for women over 50, I guess. Yeah. Um, the, Motherish, the Motherish, which is our parenting website. And um, The Glow, which is our beauty website. So right. there's a lot more to it than I think more people realize. It's got to be, what, big operation. 100 people here? Yeah, 100 people here probably. We've also got an office in Melbourne. So um, there's about... Another 30 people down there. Not bad for something she started on a laptop in a kitchen. Yeah, man. In her house, in her pajamas. 10 years ago? Uh, less than that. Uh, 2007, I think, maybe. Yeah, it was less than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not long ago. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I know. It's way of the future. Yeah. She called it, I think. She yeah. got out of magazines and this yeah. is what she's created. And if she wanted to, she could have been... Anything. She could have been at Hearst Publishing right now yeah. in New York. She could have been Easily. doing it. Easily, yeah. Totally. She went, no, nah, nah. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. What's it like to be here surrounded by all these women? Um, you know what? I love working in this office. It's, um, it's, we, we, when I first came to work here almost three years ago, it was really small. You came to that office, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The by the harbor. Yeah. The yeah. It was mm. tiny. There was like five of us writing all the articles around one little table. And now it's so big and dynamic and, mm. and it's always bustling. We're always laughing. There's a couple guys here. There's about five. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Down the end there. I think you walk past them. Boy, what a place to work. <laughs> what a place to work. Is this near where you grew up? Um, well, I sort of didn't grow up in one place. I grew up around New South, in and around New South Wales. Which is about as big as most of Europe. <laughs> yeah. I moved a lot. So yeah. this isn't really, I didn't really grow up anywhere. Where's the first place you remember being home? Um... Probably one of my earliest memories is around, I lived in Hawaii when I was little for a while. 
and that was probably they're probably some of my earliest memories because um, Halloween there's nuts burgers. Yeah. I remember that. What were you doing in Hawaii? My mum just met a guy and married him and took us there. Uh huh. Yeah. How long were you there? <laughs> Almost a year. Yeah, yeah. about ten months. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was in preschool. Had to learn the Pledge of Allegiance. It was a very stressful time in my life because you're not allowed to start school until you learn the Pledge of Allegiance there. Wow. Yeah, and so it was a lot of pressure on us to learn that because we were all about to start kindergarten. Yeah. But then I came back here anyway. So. How many brothers and sisters? Uh, three sisters. And where are you? Second oldest. So my older sister, Rhiannon's 32. She's got two little kids. So you're two of four. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And how, how young is the youngest? Just turned 18. Just legal. What? Doing a lot of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's her HSC year, so not a great mix. Okay, so that's the uh, that's the, the final year of high school for mm. folks listening overseas. Yeah, that's the, like, the important, the SAT or the OP or the O-level, the yeah. A-level. Yeah. yeah, that's that. All that. <laughs> right. So you've just released a book. I have. The Anti-Cool Girl. Mm-hmm. Which... I don't think a lot of people were expecting from you. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> because it's in the book, are you okay to talk about some of the stuff in yeah. the book? Yeah, bring it up. Are bring you it sure? Up, man. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Because I spoke with um, Nakia Louie on this show mm. not long ago. She's a fantastic p- playwright, author. Um, she's uh, one of the writers and stars of black comedy. Yeah. And she grew up in Mount Druitt. Yeah. She grew up in Housing Commission in Mount Druitt. From what I understand, you also spent some time in Housing Commission. I did, yeah. Yeah, where was that? Um, the main, I lived in a few different Housing Commission places. The main one I lived in was um, a place in North Ride called, a lot of people call it Smurf Village because all the houses are blue or the ghetto. <laughs> um, because it's one of us, uh, New South Wales's only exclusively public housing kind of little enclaves um there's it's not integrated with any private housing so it it got a little i think ghettoized yeah it was its own little dysfunctional community so i lived there that was the main one i lived in and then everyone just tries to get out of there so we moved to a couple other different housing commission places but um that was probably the yeah but when you're a kid when you're a kid, your reality is your reality. You don't think anything of it. When did you realize that you lived differently from other people? Um, I think, I mean, the housing commission thing, I never really noticed. I didn't understand. I didn't know what that was until much later. Mm. Um, um, but, I mean, I guess in terms of, like, my parents, because they were both, um, like, addicts, I think I knew it was different Um when, you know, like nobody else's dad was collapsing in the street and nobody else's mum was taking off for days. So I think you always know that hmm. something's off. Crikey. What kind of addicts are we talking? Um, drugs and alcohol and then mainly towards the end for my dad, just alcohol. And my mum, now she's still alive and it's alcohol for her now too. Right. Yeah. Still? Still. Oh, yeah. She's 52. 55 and she's still um her body's still just somehow living but by the sounds of things she she tried to get clean right many 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 times yeah but i don't think she ever tried um she i don't think she ever tried really seriously i think when we my sister and my older sister and i went to rehab with her lots of times when we were kids um but 
I think she honestly would just go to rehab when she got sick of life and just wanted a break. Rehabs are quite safe places. There's routine. You, you know, it's, it's, you get taken care of and, and we would go there for a couple of months and literally every time we left, I would see her drinking the day we left. Huh. Yeah. So I don't think it was ever any serious I I bet you could take your kids to rehab. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've stayed in a lot of famous rehabs. <laughs> Resident of Odyssey House, Carolica in Canberra. I've stayed in a few. Um, you can when you're, if you know, they try to keep kids with the parents as much as possible, yeah. which I'm still really conflicted about. Um, a lot of people ask me about that, actually. But um, so, yeah, a few times they there's like family compounds yeah. in those centers for people who bring their kids with them. So Yeah. But we loved it. I mean, there were other kids there who who understood what your life was like. Yeah. And it was the only time we really got to hang out with our parents because like, we stayed with our dad in rehab a few times too, like when they were sober and huh. and um, you didn't have to worry that they were going to. What did they tell you about, hey, kids, we're just, mummy's sick, we're all going to go somewhere. What did they say? Um, we knew. I think from a very young age, I, I understood the concept of addiction and alcoholism. Yeah. Um, they mainly did drugs when we were a lot younger. So it was mainly alcohol when I was older. But um, I understood that my parents drank too much. And yeah. that was the problem, I guess. So I, I stopped drinking. Yeah. I stopped because I couldn't stop. Yeah. All right. Okay. So what for you is the biggest misconception about that people might have about addiction? Um. I think I think that people um, think that it's it's more of a choice than what it is. A lot of people have asked me like um, why I'm not angrier with my mother for what she put us through, and I just say because I think her life was really sad and tragic. Like she's by no means the villain of my book, um, even though everything that happened to us was because my parents were, you know, addicts. Um, you know, it's a disease and they couldn't, they couldn't stop. Mm. And I don't think it had anything to do with like, when you're a kid, you feel like it has to do with how much they love you. And when she would get out of rehab, I would think like, can't you just last this time just for us? Like, so we don't get sent away again or we don't have to go to foster homes again. But um, now that I'm an adult, I look at it with a lot more empathy. Jesus, what's the foster home conversation like? Ah. Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, we got shipped around to some family members. Um, by this stage, there was three of us. My younger sister had been born. But nobody could really take three of us full time. Yeah. And so then we just got told, you know, we're sending you, we're sending you there. Right. Yeah. But then like. It must I, be terrifying for a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I shut myself going to camp with kids <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, we. By that point, we had been shipped around so many times. Like, we'd stayed with an uncle, we'd stayed with a grandma, we'd stayed with, and it was sort of just like, well, maybe this, we at least got to stay together. The three of us got to yeah. stay together. And we got moved to um, the family, were like really wealthy, and they lived in this really fancy house in Pennant Hills. And I, you know, I think we, it was nice to um, not come home to, chaos every day yeah but then I don't know if you got this far in my book but um like we were sexually abused by our foster dad so it ended up being just a whole other kettle of fish oh, Jesus yeah yeah 
it's I've never ceased to be amazed that I'm sorry to hear I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. It's but I've never ceased to be amazed how some people get dealt the most incredible deck in life. Yeah. And then some people it's 52 pickup. Yeah. And it's just a flip of a coin. Mm. There's nothing you can really tell between what person or what kid or what family. There's a, there's a friend of mine and she's just, you can't believe the kind of stuff she has to deal with medically. It's mm. just like, what you, you went in for this scan, they found what? Yeah. And what? You know, the drugs for this are doing what to you? Yeah. It's like every, it's Murphy's Law. And yeah. it's. Did you look at other kids with any resentment? Like, fuck you, you're going on holidays oh, to Disneyland yeah. and I'm dealing with this shit. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always had, I always wanted just a regular family. And I think that's where my obsession with TV started when I was a kid because um, I always had a TV in my room and that was sort of my, my escapism. And I used to... Um, I used to like VHS record shows because, you know, this was the early 90s and I would um, play them back and transcribe the scripts to like learn how to write them and to get a feel for jokes. And I just wanted to just either be on TV or involved in TV or, and I think as a kid that had a lot to do with just wanting the families like I saw on TV. I what just wanted, what like, was the, was it a full house kind of thing? Oh my God, I wanted to be in one of the Full House girls so bad. Um, Roseanne, I wanted to be like one of her kids. Oh, um, Lorelai Gilmore, I wanted to be her daughter. Seventh Heaven even, even though now I'm really uncomfortable with the yeah. deeply Christian undertones. But at the time, I didn't understand. It was just a really nice family that I really wanted. <laughs> at least with Roseanne, it was a bit It was a bit shit. It was a bit shit, but she, they all loved each other yeah. and you never had to worry that your mum wasn't going to be there. Like yeah. it was, yeah. So. That's... So I'm guessing, you know, if you went to rehab with your folks, you would have you would have been to a bunch of meetings then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, so you don't know the Pledge of Allegiance, but, but you know the Serenity Prayer. I know the Serenity Prayer. <laughs> oh, I've known that since I was like six years old. <laughs> I've known that for a long time. Yeah, we went, to, you go to meetings with your parents and then there are meetings for the kids and then there are joint meetings and a lot of meetings. Yeah. A lot of talking things through in meetings. A lot of vinyl floors under churches. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cups of tea and styrofoam cups. Yeah, and the um, arrowroot biscuits. Yeah, you never get the fancy ones at um, AA meetings. Or something American <laughs> with a laugh track. There was nobody that had a weird last name. There was nobody mm. that looked different. There was no brown people, yeah. heaven forbid. Of course, just as an aside, I love watching The Spelling Bee on I Channel 10. I love The Spelling Bee you show. Know Grace and Harpita for the win. Different coloured faces. Yeah. Different faces. Actual Australian faces. It's not all white. Yeah. It's really good. It's really cool. I'm really happy. And when they show the audience, it's like everybody's there. Yeah. It's like that's what Australia looks like. Australia doesn't look like yeah. just only white people and let's be afraid of everyone that's not white. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Fuck, that's a good show. Back to Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so TV – was, was was somewhere that I I, I fantasised about. I think for me it was more uh, teen movies because mm. I, I really identified with there was a whole genre of films about the downtrodden nerd being beat up yeah. by the jock and the nerd would, would win. Yeah. And I just kind of imagined that my life was the victory scene yeah. with We Are The Champions <laughs> yeah, playing. Yes. I always wanted to get to that point. Oh, man, Mighty Ducks. Yeah. And there was a few times when I – actually found a way to manufacture that point mm. and it actually happened and it never felt yeah like I'd got there. Yeah. It, it felt completely empty. Yeah. Those celebration moments felt mm. completely empty. It was always really 
Yeah, it'll, yeah. <laughs> I know, I get that. I mean, even now, like I'm doing, you know, I'm doing pretty well for myself now, but I, I still just, you know, I, I still feel like a fraud all the time. Oh imposter gosh. syndrome? Major imposter yeah. syndrome. Yeah. yeah. Happens. Major. It happens. Occasion living in America's um, helped a bit. I don't mm. live there anymore. I moved back. Um, living in America's helped a bit take ownership of the things I've done and things I've achieved and, mm. that, and just be okay with it. Mm. But it still feels, it still feels a bit weird. Yeah. I think being sober also helps. Really? Yeah. Being sober mm. really helps. Mm. Being able to just kind of feel a lot more okay with how it is. Yeah. And worthy of, yeah. of what happens. Yeah. There was, I remember when, it, when it all first started 10 years ago, I felt, I didn't feel worthy of it. Yeah. Like, you know, you should be writing about someone else because I don't want to say this. Yeah. I think I'm still, I'm still in that yeah. place a bit. Yeah. Well, you let, let go of it, Ronnie. People, <laughs> people love you. So was your sister at all on the escape trajectory as well, the big sister? Um, no, you know, she, she is now, but she, um, I think cause I was a nerd. I was a TV nerd. I sit in my room, watch TV. I did well in school. My older sister was super cool. And so she started dating boys and she like left school in like, I don't know, year nine, I think. And she got pregnant pretty quickly. So she's 32 now and she has a 13 year old. So she had Aaliyah and my niece when she was 19. And then she's got another two year old boy. So she kind of got bogged down with kids and was a single mom. And she's like kicking ass now. She's got an incredible job. She's studying. Her kids are incredible, um, but yeah, she struggled for yeah. a long time. So I, I remember when my big brother, uh, when he left, yeah, I was like, "Well, uh, what are, I was number two. Yeah, well. what, what, what happens now?" Well, I think I always, I, I never wanted to follow her, her path. I could see that she was um, heading the way of my parents for a while, and that always confused me. Like I yeah. always thought, "Why would you?" and when we got permanently taken away, like when I was made a, a ward of the state permanently, um, she was 16 then and I was 13 and, um, and she just moved in with her boyfriend. So she just went off on her own. Well, the then, boyfriend was 24. Yeah. He oh. was like much older Gosh. and it was just icky and, and, Ugh. um, so can you explain to me what that process is like, what the ward of the state process is like because that's a very very big deal yeah. for the, the government to come in to a parent and say this person's own safety we're going to take this yeah. person away from you who bore her forever yeah you were no longer legally responsible for this person yeah that is an enormous step yeah um you know i was 13 my younger sister was um, seven. So I think it was a lot easier for me than it was for her. Um, but basically we'd been taken away and returned just countless times by that point, just throughout our entire childhood. Do you have the and same case manager? The same? No. It's so it just changes. System. It's just another system. Yeah. Oh. It's just you get shipped around. You don't know who you're talking to. And then you'll get, you'll turn up to children's court and they'll just, and someone will come up to you and say, I'm your lawyer. And you go, okay. And then it just, it's all very... The one just up the street here? Um, sometimes, like depends where we were living. Like, um, so, I mean, I was made, yeah, we were made wards of the state. I was sent to live with my uncle, my younger sister, Taylor, 
um, oh, this still breaks my, my heart, but nobody in the family wanted her. So um, she was sent to, oh, God, seven or eight different foster homes and um, was neglected or abused in all of them and ended up just moving in with um, my my older sister when she was 16. So she had a much rougher go of it than I did, Jeez. becoming a ward of the state that young. Like I was at least older. And Is there anything better about the system now? Um, look, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, Taylor, my younger sister, um, she's 22 now. When she turned 18, she basically just got told, okay, thanks, good luck. Um, they, I think they gave her like $2,000 to buy furniture if she needed an apartment. And um, then she just never, never heard from them again. So I think it's, um, I mean, she's lucky in that my older sister and I had grown and were established and we could help her and take care of her. But like the, the system has a lot of problems. And all I know is that people say to me, do you wish you had have been taken away permanently sooner so that your life wasn't so chaotic? And I say, well, yeah, if you're lucky enough to be placed in a, in a good home but none of my experience with my foster homes or my younger sister foster homes none of them were positive so I think it's incredibly difficult to find good foster carers I, I have no doubt they're out there but we never were lucky enough to be placed with them so I just you know I just I just can't even I can't even picture it mm. I just can't even picture it you you're describing Essentially, you're describing what it's almost like you're you're almost like you're a, re a refugee in a modern society. Mm. It's almost like you're so displaced yeah. from from and so powerless over your future. Yeah, so powerless over it. And then that that you're talking about a system where, crikey, you don't even have like you're you're just an, a, 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 set, a, sh a bunch of papers in a Manila folder somewhere. Yeah, that someone picks up. What are we going to do today? Oh, Okay, here we go. Let's get down, knock on the door. Yeah. Let's go. It's not the same person. No one, there's well, no consistency. There's none. And, you know, when I was sent to live with my uncle when I was 13, he was um, quite wealthy. And the only reason he took me and not my younger sister is because I was old enough to go to boarding school. So he took me and then sent me straight to boarding school. But um, I remember the day my caseworker dropped me off. He lived in a really nice house on the North Shore and she just sort of saw the house and couldn't believe it. And she was like, yep, okay, this is good. And I never heard from Docs again. Like he could have been an axe, like he had money, but he could have been an axe murderer or a mm. pedophile or anything. And Docs is the Department of Child Services. Yeah, which yeah. Um, I think it's a different name now. I can't remember. It's changed. But um, yeah, uh, I never heard from them again. They just dropped me off there and, and that was it. They were like, see ya, good luck. <laughs> I mean, it was fine, but yeah, um, it wasn't fine for Taylor. Like Taylor was young and kept getting moved and kept getting abused and how did you stay in touch with her it was hard um it was really hard my youngest sister isabella went to live with her dad um and i didn't see her for about 11 years so wow. we completely lost touch with her um rhiannon and i stayed in touch just because we were older and we had mobile phones by that point but Taylor, it was really difficult to stay in touch. There were long periods where we didn't see her. Yeah. Full on. Which is, was heartbreaking for her. I think she felt really abandoned. Like her big sisters 
especially me, like I got to go off with family and she didn't, it would have been so confusing for a little seven-year-old. So, dis- to not so disruptive. And yeah. certainly when you, I think about my own, my parents, my mum's experience particularly, um, when she, you know, when all the other kids, the other 10-year-olds were probably playing with dollhouses and, and stuff mm. like that. She was on the back of a cart playing a war yeah. and they ended up in an internment camp here in Australia. We've been doing it for a long time, yeah. putting refugees in camps. Um, and, you know, all that early childhood stuff where you're supposed to be learning how to be friends with your sister or mm. brother and, and, and learning how to share and empathy and just basic socialization yeah. so you're not just like a freaking, you know, Mowgli going yeah. out into the world, <laughs> um, just lost. Yeah. Um, when you started, I'm assuming that, well, hang on, before we get there, let's just, just go back just, just one step. What do you want people to know about kids who've got parents that are addicts? What do you know? What do you want people to know about those kids? Um, I guess I want people to know that um, they need love and consistency. Like I, when I hit about 18, I had PTSD really badly. And because of what you say, that sense of powerlessness and dysfunction that goes on for so long really it you know it causes brain injury because you're developing and so I dealt with PTSD for quite a few years and and I just needed we all just needed consistency and we weren't getting it and but I don't know how to fix it like I don't know how to fix it I lived it and I have no answers yeah so I don't know right and what if people listening might be relating in some way I think that I always tell people just look outside of it, like know that there is a life for you outside of it. That's what got me through it, I think, was imagining that one day I'd be in charge, not other people. I'd be in charge of making my decisions and um, and I'd live the life that I wanted. And so that's, and that's what got me through. Yeah. And you can do it. You can. So looking for consistency and looking for, stability boarding school gave you that um in a way but I was really badly bullied just because I went to this private boarding school on the north shore and I was like this houser kid who'd been living in Katoomba and I was just so different and out of place so it north shore is a very very affluent part of city very very affluent part of Sydney and everyone's um, everyone's a banker yeah everyone's Everyone's a banker or a lawyer yeah and um I I went to school with a lot of kids who I was just I was in a different universe I didn't get it like I thought oh I'm going to a fancy school and I I did not realize what fancy on the North Shore meant. Like this school had a TV studio and an aquatic center and, and yeah, I had consistency and routine, which was lovely for me, but, um, I didn't fit in and I was sad. Yeah. Those three years. Yeah. I was pretty badly bullied there. That's awful. Yeah. What did you, what did you do about the bullying? Could you do anything? I tried. I was really vocal about it because I was pissed. I was like, I'm finally here. Like, I'm smart. My uncle is rewarding me for being smart by sending me to this great school. And I was like, fuck you guys. Like, just fucking stop ruining this for me. So I I went to teachers. I went to boarding masters. I went and they were always just like, because it was a, a few boys in the boarding house who were doing it. And they would just say things like, oh, 
he probably just has a crush on you, Rosie. Like, or he just just learn to laugh it off. Like, maybe they'll stop teasing you if you take the joke better. And um, what cunts? Yeah, it was handled really badly. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty messed up. Like, and it was just like one of those things where I sort of finally escaped this like chaotic upbringing and then I ended up at this school that was meant to be like my savior and my and my sanctuary and it was just a whole different kind of <laughs> trauma rich kids uh in posh uniforms are sharks yeah man those movies are real yeah they are they are, they are not exaggerations no. and actually the um the school I went to is actually the school that Chris Lilly went to so um <laughs> Chris Lilly created uh, Summer Heights High and Jamee and Jamee really is the the kinds of girls I was at school with. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was accurate. <laughs> that is yeah, yeah, that's so the 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 little one at our place um will, you know, her and her mates decide which um SUVs they're going to get. It's <laughs> like I won't say their real names, but um, I'm just going to make names up. Yeah, okay. It's like, I like the X5, but summer loves it this and autumn loves it that. <laughs> and, you know, winter loves it this one and spring loves it, you know, or whatever. Uh, and yeah. yeah, they, they fantasize about what SUVs they're going to yeah, get. Yeah, I know. It's so, my, my, when they're, you know, the tennis mom. Yeah. My niece is in year seven and she's a lot like that too with all yeah. her friends. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But what privilege. Yeah. What privilege to be fantasizing about what kind of SUV you're going to be able to afford when you land a banker husband. <laughs> Oh, no, not when you land the banker husband, when you can afford it yourself. Well, those girls aren't thinking of affording oh, it themselves. That's, that's the thing. That's heartbreaking. That's the thing because that's not what they see up there. Yeah. That's not what they see. Yeah. They see the pretty lady. If you stay pretty, yeah. then the, the bloke who went to Sydney Boys High and we'll then… buy you that fancy car. Boom. That's sad. I always wanted to buy myself the fancy car. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was… Uh, I remember once… Um, some very, very cheeky morning radio host asked Scarlett Johansson, so what's your favorite position? And she said, CEO. Yeah, man. <laughs> nailed it. Great answer. Yeah. Great answer. So you you spat out of high school mm. where you would all, I mean, you, you said, you know, the, the house kid, that's a common name for a housing commission yeah. kid, right? We would all socialized were you was you prepared for the adult world no <laughs> not at all and all, I mean my time at at boarding school had ruined my confidence as well so and then I also that was around when I finished high school was around when my PTSD really hit so my first few years out of high school in my early 20s were just plagued with mental illness and and just being inept at being an adult like Things, there were just so many things I didn't know how to do or, or in ways I didn't know how to behave. And um, I'm still, I still struggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still don't, I still don't know things. I still don't get things sometimes, but. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I had to learn how to be an adult at 36. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm 29, so I'm sort of getting there. Yeah. I mean, I wrote an article about how I didn't know how to post a letter, like, because I'd never posted a physical letter and so many people got so angry at me. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> I pulled the bad parents card. I was like, bad parents? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything. So so you're, you're 18. Mm. And I know, you know, if there's one thing that is readily available that'll take the pain away, good old alcohol. Yeah. 
and it's around mm. and it's everywhere. And uh-huh. the adverts say it's going to be awesome when yeah. you drink it. Yeah. <laughs> well, was that a part of it? It it was later. So at first, like I um, I tried to kill myself not long after leaving high school. I think oh, I'd, I know oh, I just dropped like a really intense truth bomb. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, okay. It's in the book. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I was just wrecked and confused and, and, and my PTSD had hit and I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I was freaking out all the time. And, um, and after that, I was dating a boy and I think he sort of became my alcohol for a while. Like I just became very intensely attached to that relationship. And um, when he and I broke up, 
rock bottom, I guess. So I don't know. <laughs> Is this it? Hey, man. Psych wards way more comfortable than a gutter. <laughs> yeah. So um, It's way more comfortable than a gutter. Had a bed with sheets and a pillow. Um, but, you know, it was a pretty grim cycle. You know, I didn't have private health insurance. I was in a public facility, which is filled yeah. with a lot of, um, you know, really very sick people. Tragic, sick people. Very, very sick. So people. it was, yeah. um, it was pretty dark, actually, pretty yeah. dark experience. But it, it was sort of the catalyst for me mm. getting my shit together. Yeah, I, I definitely remember that. The doctor I was seeing, she's she was in the public health system mm. in Brisbane. The only way I could see her was at the outpatient facility yeah. in Brisbane, and I had to go up to the ward to see her. And I just, oh. mm. I'll never forget it, man. Yeah, never, never forget. I mean. When you're constantly trying to battle a demon, showering is fuck, you know, there's other things mm. to do. I'm busy shouting at the drum and bass, <laughs> you know, the, the the screaming, you know, the screaming dubstep demons that are in my brains. Mm. I'm busy trying to keep them at bay. Yeah. So I'm not really interested in eating or showering or. Even just like standing up in the shower. Fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. Just in bed. <laughs> Tough. Man. Yeah. Now, when. Before that, that, obviously that would have been a very uh, acute incident mm. that, that took you there. As you were, let me ask you this, were you, because of what you saw growing up, mm. were you of the opinion like, I know so much about that, it's never going to happen to me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I never thought I would ever be like my parents. And... Um, and, you know, it's like my mom has bipolar and my dad had schizophrenia. So they both struggled with mental health. And um, it wasn't until I had my own mental illness, like it wasn't until my PTSD hit and um, that I really started to empathize with what they'd been through and how hard it would have been. Like, I remember at one point thinking, Jesus, like, I can barely get out of bed. I can barely move. I can't imagine having three kids at this stage. And that's mm. what my mom yeah. and was dealing with and um and I think it was I never I always knew that I wouldn't become like a drug addict or an alcoholic but I'd never considered the mental illness side of it and you know I had no choice in that it just hit and mm. and I I spent a lot of time feeling shitty for like ending up like my mom and ending up in a psych ward and um but it also just gave me a lot of empathy for them so what were the first steps? Because that, that's, that's the real bottom of the bell curve yeah. down there. <laughs> what, what were the first steps and when did you first start to realize that there was some upward momentum? Um, honestly, it was, it was probably coming to work for Mamma Mia is what really pulled me out of it. Like I, um, How did you get here? Well, I somehow finished a degree <laughs> during I, – I was – in the psych ward in the middle of my degree and then somehow finished the other half of it when I got out and um, it was a writing degree. And then when I finished my degree, I was still really depressed and I'd like eaten myself into oblivion. So I was super fat and I was just sitting in my room afraid to go out, didn't want to do anything. Um, and I just started, I started a blog just to like kind of dip my toe into something and I sent them a couple of articles and, and they loved them. And, and then um, they offered me a job as an editorial assistant and I was petrified because by this point I'd basically just been living 
since I got out of hospital, I'd just been living in my room and just not ever really leaving it. And, um, and yeah, they offered me a job as an editorial assistant. And so I started really slow and. What was it like? Cause I've, it's not quite the, um, what was that old blog minimum six inch heels? The, the blog about Park Street, 54 Park Street. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a blog about, it was like the Devil West Prada, but it was an insider's blog on, yeah. the, on the building here in Sydney where. Yeah all the ladies' magazines are residing yeah. in this one particular building and it's ruthless in yeah. there, uh, which is where Mia was. Yeah. When you turned up to that Yeah, I was office, scared it was going to be like And that. all these women are together. Yeah. yeah. It was – I was scared coming to work here, not only because I'd barely been uh, letting myself experience life at all, but also because coming to work at a women's media organisation with Mia Friedman, who was, you know, who's famous. I grew up reading her in Cosmo and Cleo and stuff and – I was, I was really scared, but I could not have found a more nurturing group of women like Jamila Rizvi, my editor in chief. Like I remember she could see how socially anxious I was and she used to like force me to go out. She'd be like, Rosie, we're having drinks after work. It's really important that you come. I think you need to go out. And I'd be like, okay. And they sort of like really coaxed me back into life. Like these women, it was, it was I just feel so lucky to have been offered that job and to have ended up here. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. And what other kind of, what other kind of, uh, things do you do to, 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 to take care of yourself now? Well, um, you know, I see a therapist once a week. I'm on medication for anxiety. I mean, my, I've largely recovered from my PTSD, but I'll always have anxiety. Um, I get really socially anxious, which I think a lot of people are really surprised. They read what I write and they think I'm going to be really outgoing and really ostentatious and I'm really shy and I get really nervous. And, um, I'm terrified when I'm in a crowd. Oh, me I too. Can't stand me it. too. I terrified. Hate it. I can't stand it. <laughs> um, and I can't imagine what it's like for you because you're like, you would get approached all the time and it makes me. I was terrified of it. I was so afraid of it. I moved countries. Yeah. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I understand that though. Yeah. It's, it's, um, there's a way to get away, but you know, I take medication. I, I, I see a therapist. I ha I also know my limitations. Like mm. I only work here three days a week because, um, working full time, I was starting to get really stressed out. So I do that and I'm lucky to work in a place that is open to working around my anxiety. And I know that like, I can't go out like two nights in a row because I'll get really anxious. I need alone time. Like I just, I've learned to yeah. manage it. Yeah. And I've how do you have it. a conversation? I mean, when I started seeing my current girlfriend, I think really early on, yeah, I was like, okay, so this is what's going on yeah. in my life. These are the drugs I'm on. Yeah. This is why I'm on them. Mm. This is what happened six months ago. <laughs> yeah. Why I had to get on these drugs. Mm. Um, better now. This is the things I have to do to stay better. Yeah. Um, you want to hang out? <laughs> <laughs> like, and I'm free. <laughs> what, how's, how's dating when you're living with this? Oh, uh, well, okay, look, I, I guess I kind of cheat by writing it. So I've written a lot about like my weight and, 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 and my mental illness and all kinds of things. And so I feel like, especially now with the book, it's all out yeah. there. Um, I was dating a guy like when the book was sort of um, in final manuscript stages and we'd only just recently started dating. And I was like, well, just read this and any questions, come talk to me. <laughs> like, yeah. but it is something that I have to, um, 
I tell people pretty early on. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really a data. Like I'm not going to get involved with someone unless I feel like it's going to be a long-term thing. And mm. if it is, you have to tell them. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. And if they can't take it, then they're probably not. It's not going to work anyway. Well, that's, yeah. the, that's exactly the thing. You know, if you, you really can't be with someone who is at all freaked out. Yeah, you can't. By that. Yeah. It's just not going to work, no matter how good looking they are. Yeah. No matter how much they're into you, you can't. And there are certain things I think that make me um, not easy, like certain attachment problems like because of my parents like I get very nervous if I um if I'm not sure where someone is or if they're running late or it just because of how my brain developed it just triggers freak out in my brain oh goodness and so there are things that um I need to say when I'm dating boys like when I ask you to text me back that's not me being a diva it just really helps me to have that reassurance that you're still existing and you haven't a bit, like run off like it's yeah and it's really hard for me to say stuff like that to guys because yeah. it makes me seem really high maintenance but it's just how my my brain has developed like it certain things trigger yeah panic that i have to be but careful you of. can but with those triggers you can rewire your brain well yeah and like i'm sure you do work on those triggers. yeah i do i do um because otherwise all that shit from your past is being dragged along with yeah. you everywhere you go and eventually we have to let it go yeah, I mean, I do, like, I'm, I've worked on it and I'm working on it yeah. and will keep working on it, but um, it's still just, it still rears its ugly head yeah. and you have to just you say, like, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm you've sorry. Got no, no, you've <laughs> got, got it. it. You've got it. You've got yeah. it. You've got it. The tricky thing now, I've got this 11-year-old in my life and so it's just how do I, how do I tell her, look, if, I'm feel, if I feel sad today, it's, because this is happening. It's got yeah. nothing to do with you. So if I'm a little down or uncommunicative or, you know, I don't want to dance in the living room with you today, in the living room with you today, it's it's nothing to do with how I feel about you. Yeah. Just there's some stuff going on that I'll tell you about another time. And That's interesting having to describe it to a kid. Mm. I think that would really force you to really strip it back. Well, you can't tell them what's actually going on. Yeah. You have to, but you have to be able to tell them why you're not playful yeah. or why you you don't want to, you know, can you just maybe turn the dance mums down a bit? <laughs> um, you know, it's not because I don't love you mm. or I don't think you're awesome, you know, or I'm just going to go to the other room for a while. It's yeah. got nothing to do with how I feel about you. Yeah. It's just I need to not be around this for a bit. Well, yeah, those are conversations I've yeah. had a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are you dating someone now? Yes. Is that all right? Yeah, it's going all right. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tend to be very cautious just because of um, the long-term relationships I'd had in the past weren't healthy. Yeah. And so I'm at a point now where I'm sort of really having healthy adult relationships for the first time. And it's strange. Isn't that wild? <laughs> Sitting down yeah. and talking about stuff? <laughs> yeah. When you, I feel, I need. I know. It's incredible. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Like, it works. Instead of like having a panic attack after we have an argument, we just talk it out and, and, yeah. and go to bed. It's fine. It's <laughs> amazing, strange, right? But, it's um, amazing. It's different, but it's, it's, it's nice. It's calm. Yeah. It's calmer. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 I'm, 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 I, I, the only failed relationship is a relationship you failed to learn from. Yeah. That's true. Doubt. And I'm, I, I learned a lot from my 
uh, my marriage, my mm. marriage that didn't work out. And I'm able to approach this current relationship with a much, uh, much different mindset, mm. a much different mindset and very much to recognize that those triggers that you were talking about, mm. that's pain that came before I met yes. this woman and it doesn't have anything to do with her. Mm. And I have to be very careful. Like what, what am I bringing that here for? Cause that's nothing to do with this woman. She didn't ask for it. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with how she spoke to me or whatever. Like, mm. And I have to, that's nothing to do with you. I'm sorry. That was me. Yeah. And that's something that happened a while ago. It doesn't belong here. Yeah. It doesn't have any business being between you and me. So it does sorry take, about that. Yeah. It takes a lot of self-awareness, which is, is hard. It's confronting and tricky, but yeah, you have but when to. When your amygdala's firing, you're just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Totally. When that lizard brain takes over. Totally. Gotta, uh, yeah, yeah, man. Got to go. That damn um, amygdala. Yeah. We've talked for 48 minutes and we haven't mentioned Bachelor once. I know. I feel like everyone's waiting for that. <laughs> I was, I, I want to talk. i having a great chat. I want to talk to you about all of this because I am on a mission to destigmatize mm. what it is to live with mental illness. Yeah. I do my job. Everything you see me do on telly. Yeah. That's what someone with mental illness looks like. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah. That person functioning and doing that thing, you Not doing your job. That's super successful, man. That's what it looks yeah. like. I've got fucking a shrink, I've got a psych, I've yeah. got, you know, meds, I've got yeah. a fucking workout, I've got a stable relationship, I eat three times a day, yeah. I go to bed at the same time. I do a lot of shit yeah. to make sure that everything else works. Yeah. But that's what that's what it takes. Mm. And but that it mental illness isn't something that we should be frightened of speaking about. Mm. If I've got a torn labrum, right, in my left hip, so I yeah. can't run right now. Um so people say, hey, you want to come from where I can't. Torn labrum, can't leave. No problem. That's great. Yeah. Go see an orthopedic surgeon? Eh, maybe. I'm trying to see how it worked without surgery. If I need to go surgery, I'll go mm. to surgery. If I had an injury that was preventing me from doing something else that's in my brain, yeah. for some reason I don't want to talk about it. I know. But I've tried to be really open about it ever since I've come to Mamma Mia. I've written about it a few times. I'm really graphic about it in my book, like my suicide attempts and my, my time in um, psychiatric care because – it's just, it's, it's, it's part of who I am. It's my mm. life. It's what I deal with every day. And, yeah. you know, it's made me, I don't regret any of it because it's sort of made me who I am, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd be a different person if I hadn't been through all of that. So. It's, it's, such an, it's such an insidious problem in our society, mm. this beautiful country. We're so, we're so lucky to be here. It's a beautiful society, just abundant, abundant with food and safety and wealth. And, mm. Eight people die every day from suicide, yeah, five of which are men. Yeah. Suicide's the number one killer of men under 25 in Australia. Yeah. Talk to someone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Talk to someone. If you find yourself not getting out of bed yeah. for days on end, yeah, call your doctor. Yeah. Call your doctor. That's a sign of something. And, and that's, that's, that's the thing. That's the, that's, that's the smell of the bushfire before the firestorm arrives. Yeah. But the if, plates, I always know when the plates start piling up next to the bed. Uh, that's that's when I'm like, okay, Rosie, something's about to happen. Uh, yeah. Okay. Plates pile up, clothes don't get washed. Yeah. Curtains are drawn. That's when I feel like I'm headed towards a, a low period. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you know, I think people don't realize, a lot of guys, men especially, don't realize that it's not 
it's just not normal to feel that way. No. Like they just put they put up with it and deal with it and God, it is so treatable. Mm. Like it is so treatable. It really is. But on the same token, I would say that it, it's not normal to feel happy all of the time. No, I don't think so. But um, happiness isn't a permanent state. It mm. comes. It comes in cycles. Happiness yeah. and and sadness is an acceptable part of life. Sadness is a great motivator. Sadness yeah. helps you do better in a relationship. Not make a mistake at work. Mm. Sadness helps us. Yeah. When it's bottomless. Yeah. And ceaseless, and you can't feel the warmth of the sun on your back. Mm. That's something to talk to someone about. Yeah, I mean, that's why I never felt depression as sadness. I always felt it as emptiness. Yeah. More than sadness, I think. Yeah. Like a dull feeling. Yeah, just yeah. a nothing. Well, of course, though, because as a kid, considering what you went through, mm. the safest place was complete disassociation. Oh, yeah. I have had a lot of problems with disassociative behavior. Yeah, yeah a lot. Um, that's just yeah, observing. A lot of kids who went through childhoods like mine are the same. Yeah. Observing yourself. Yeah. Versus being in yourself. Yeah. Big yeah. time. I've I've had I've had to learn to do a lot of a lot of things like I do this every now and then to do this a lot. Yeah. To, I'm I'm rubbing my forearm. Yeah. Right. I um I like play with my cuticles right. to like feel my just just to feel just yeah. to bring, bring myself, yourself back yeah, to yeah. the present. Bring yeah. Bring forearm and I also just um sometimes if when I'm agitated, my girlfriend's really good at it because she's got a kid, obviously, mm. so she knows. She rubs me on my chest. Yeah. She rubs me on, my, on just on the top of my chest here. It feels, it, it's like, oh, back in the room. Yeah. I don't know if people understand how far away you go. Mm. Your body's there. Yeah. And you can still be talking and smiling. Yeah. <laughs> it's your far, oh, far away there in a have, safe place. There have been days where I've watched like five hours of television and I get to the end of it and I don't, I don't remember what I watched. I just wasn't even, it's just, you know, you're just yeah. off. Your brain's off somewhere. Like, not nah, sorry, yeah. can't deal. Bye. <laughs> so, watch this. Speaking of watching television, <laughs> smooth, Oshi. <laughs> um, Those hosting skills. So, folks who listen overseas know that I host a show called The Bachelor. Yeah. What they may not know is that about 90 minutes after the show <laughs> goes off air, Rosie hits send on a blog post that goes out to I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people. It's yeah, quite a lot. A lot. It's quite <laughs> it's a, a lot. lot. Um, Rosie writes recaps of the show that are written from a certain point of view and a certain tangent that <laughs> are just undeniably joyful to, to read. When Now, I'm guessing you didn't go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build an entire media empire <laughs> off the back of writing about this reality show. Yeah, I'm no. guessing it was just like one night you went, I'm going to write about this. Yeah, like when they said they were launching the Aussie season, oh gosh. 2013. Two, yeah, a couple of years ago yeah. now. Um, I went to Mia and Jamila, my editors, and I said, I can make this funny. Please let me do this. I reckon I can make this really funny. And they didn't think I could. They were like, no, like it's not going to work. People don't want to read about you watching a TV show. And I was like, no, let me do it. And so they... They let me do it at home. Like I did it in my own time. They're like, you can write it. We'll put it on the website, but you're not doing it at work. And so I just did it myself at home and then it just became popular. Like it, people liked it. And then, um, and so then I started doing it at, they let me do it at work after that. <laughs> and um, the first season, it was kind of popular. I think last season, it really, they really took off. And this season, it's just been crazy out of this world. People it's, really love them. It's, what is it? I think, you know, it's... Um, what is it about The Bachelor? What is it about The Bachelor that has captured people 
so much. I, I, I've got to say though, quickly though, in my opinion, yeah, in my opinion, yeah, your you have a very big role in my heart. You have a very big <laughs> role in the success of the show because you have given permission yeah. to so many people who would not otherwise watch yeah. the show to watch the show. I think so, and I think I make fun, but it's in a very affectionate way, yes. and I think people like to make a bit of fun of it but they don't want to be mean-spirited because they no. actually really do like the show. Yeah. And so I think that's where the my recaps do kind of walk. I try to make them walk that line between, you know, making a bit of fun and being like, okay, we're all here watching this show about A Bachelor and it's all a little bit silly, but like also we all really love it, like to be honest. Yeah. And so... Um, You're watching people fall in love. It's pretty nice. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I put, there's a lot of fantasy in it, like all that stuff about you being locked in the dungeon and Sandra, yeah. like... I put a lot of fantasy in it because I don't ever want it. I feel like as soon as you're talking too specifically about people's personalities and I make a point about never talking about looks, I feel like that's just nasty and shouldn't come into it, except for your hair, obviously, and the bachelor's <laughs> muscles. But like I never talk. I get a lot of people saying to me, oh, why don't you talk about how so-and-so has a weird face? I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Like it's, yeah. it's all just in good fun and it's all fantasy and it's all – I just sort of weave fantasy into it. And I think I, I really just write about what Channel 10 has constructed rather than like, I would never like make any assumptions about what the girls are really like because you do just assume it's a TV show and it's all just, I really just try to do it in good fun. And from what I've heard, a lot of the girls get in touch with me and say that they think it's really funny and they're like so excited to be included in it. And yeah, so that's nice. What is it about this show, though, that has, in your opinion, what is it about this show that has been so cutting through in, in, this, in this country? Gosh, I honestly don't. I think it's just people, I mean, people, it is about finding love, which people love. I think it's really well cast. Um, Channel 10 do a great job of casting it. Um, I think it's also the epitome of engagement television. Like it is, it is the show that I think it's taken Australia a while to really get on the bandwagon of watching things and engaging as a community at the same time, like tweeting and, and, and reading blogs afterwards and going to chat rooms and Instagramming. And this is probably one of the first shows where we've really, really done that. Like there is a real community feel to watching The Bachelor, which I think people really love. You feel like Every single other person in the country who's watching it is your friend and you're all watching it together. And that is exactly the reason why I love being on the show. Yeah. I love being on a show that gives people something to talk to each other yeah. about. People who would otherwise not be able to talk to each other. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many guys come up to me and go, <laughs> that's the first show I've watched with my wife ever. That's I get the same. So many women say to me like, my husband loves the re like we watch the show and then read the recaps together. We love it. Like it's yeah. yeah. I read I read Audrey the recaps when we're going to bed. <laughs> yeah. I lie in bed at night and I read her the recaps. So many people say that they do that. But I mean, even during the show, like everyone. But I read them out. I read them out loud and I do all the voices. <laughs> That's, oh I God, really I would, do. I would want to see that so badly, Osha. <laughs> all the bits about you, I would love to see you read those. <laughs> I, I really do. Um, but you know, people. You know, you get it on Twitter, I get it on Twitter. Like everyone's tweeting at us and talking and getting involved. It's just so fun. Isn't it? It's an experience. It really is. Yeah, every Wednesday, Thursday night, 
big party. It is. And it feels like I'm watching the show with hundreds of thousands of people in my living room. Yeah, it really does. It's yeah. so much fun. And I think that's a big reason why the recaps took off because everyone just loved it. And when the show's over, they want more. Yeah. They want to keep talking. So. Yeah. And I don't know. Does it come out fast enough that you, people can read it before they see it in Western Australia? Yes. Ugh. But they don't. A lot of people say that they purposefully don't. Yeah. Some people say they read it while watching <laughs> um, to like get a scent, but. You know. Yeah. And I love that people have batchy parties. Like I get yeah. sent so many photos of women like all just in their living room in their PJs with wine and it's so great. It really is. Yeah, it's so great. It's so, it's it's such a lovely, lovely thing to be a part of. And it's it's it and like I said, you the tone that you bring to it really has, and I'll say it again, has really given a lot more people permission to watch the show than otherwise would have watched yeah. the show. You've made it so okay. What was there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald mm. about the coolest of cool, cool inner west Newtown kids <laughs> having a party watching The Bachelor together. <laughs> All right, these are kids who wouldn't be caught dead watching a commercial yeah. network, and there they are. Yeah, and it's awesome. Yeah, man, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun to just watch a fun show, isn't it? You know, it really is, and that's you know. I turned on Channel no Nine. Judgment. I, I, I tweeted the other day. Whoever's at the Channel 9 promo department must have mm. just walked in there and said, look, I don't care what you make, just make them think that the Islam is out to kill them and that everything <laughs> in the house could also destroy their lives and that ISIS are going to poison their children. Go. And every promo on Channel 9, you watch it, every yeah. promo on Channel 9 is like, you won't believe the danger lurking in your suburb. If you don't watch by 6 o'clock on Tuesday, you'll die. Yeah. And that's every promo on Channel 9. Yeah, man. This culture of fear is not healthy for yeah. us as a society. Keeping someone afraid the whole time. We can't sustain that kind of, mm. it's like someone having an anxiety problem. You can't sustain being in an alert state. Yeah. You eventually, your cortisol levels just get to a point and you fucking die. Well, it's exhausting. And I think the, you know, the Bachelor success shows that, that people are, they're over it. They yeah. want something just fun and positive and hilarious. And yeah. that's, you know, that's why everyone loves it. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah. It, it's it's pretty good. I won't lie to you, though. I won't lie. I had a, two meetings before this, um, but I was just leaving the house. I said to Audrey, I'm going to go see Rose. She goes, oh, you can't go like that. <laughs> <laughs> she grabbed the blow dryer. Your hair is looking particularly styled today. It's, it's got a lot of height. My girlfriend, uh, my girlfriend <laughs> said, you can't go to see Audrey. You can't go to see Rosie without without some quiff. Without a bit of height. Yeah. Without some quiff. It's it's, it's very quiffy. I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to tell you, though, I, I can't believe growing up, I saw people on telly mm. for three years, five years, mm. you know, I see a Dado cup on this table and I think that's kind of, yeah. you know, that's interesting. <laughs> but, and then they went away Yeah, and you never saw the herd of them again. Mm. You'd be driving through some obscure central coast somewhere between Rockhampton and somewhere and you'd hear, I know that guy. Yeah. And they end up on a radio <laughs> station doing afternoons yeah. in the, you know, Mornington Peninsula or something. Yeah. That I've got to come and have a second shot. Yeah, man. Is unbelievable. And I, I can't, I can't believe it. And I, speaking of social anxiety, like I, during the the absolute height of it, all mm. 2004, 2005, mm. I'd go two, three days without leaving the house. Yeah. If I didn't have to work, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave. 
and I was so afraid of it all. Mm. And I'm just so grateful that now on the other side of all that, when I'm way healthier, healthiest I've ever been. Um, you get to do it again. Physically and mentally. I get to actually be there for it. Yeah. I'm not anesthetizing it. Yeah. I'm not, you know, getting myself three beers in so I could go out. Yeah. Just so I could, I, like, getting those beers in to detach from mm. my personality so I could actually be outside. Like a yeah, like in the Pacific Rim driving the big robots. Yeah, that's what I felt like. <laughs> I felt like the inside my body yeah. driving myself around. Yeah, I get that. And then occasionally saying shit. Who said that? Yeah, <laughs> unit. Oh fuck! <laughs> what did my mouth do that for? <laughs> and now, oh, it's so great though Isn't that it? you get to do it now. When I'm you're, really lucky. Yeah, and I'm grateful, and I love this show because I get to connect with people, and I'm I'm, I'm really really grateful. Um, did you at all? You you covered, and I, I read. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful I can read quite quickly sometimes. Um, <laughs> and I, was, I read a fair chunk of your book. Yeah. Um, you only is, got it yesterday. So. It is in, in, incredibly personal. Yeah. And it involves other people. Yeah. Where you would all, it's like the ultimate thing of like, well, I'm really afraid to send this email. Send. Yeah, yeah, was it the yeah. ultimate? Yeah. Of, I mean, the I was particularly worried just with the stuff about my parents. Mm. Um, there are some pretty horrible chapters with my dad. Um, you know, the chapter where he dies is pretty confronting. There's just some horrible things that my mum did. And I, I mean, it's, I guess with my mum, it's harder because she's still alive. I was really worried about how much it was going to affect her. But um, she probably, she's not really, alcohol is really her body and her brain are kind of ravaged. Like I doubt she could even read a book. So um, I don't, but even if she could, I, I probably wouldn't want her to. I think she'd be too upset. But um, the chapters with my sisters, I let them read first. Um, everyone else's names are changed. So there was, I wrote pretty um, d uh, detailed accounts of my two relationships that I that I mm -hmm. talked about with you earlier about how I was just, incredibly dysfunctional in those I mean those guys um one of them I don't talk to one of them I do and I flagged with him that it was coming um but I mean it's scary yeah I'm worried about what certain family members will think about the things I revealed about my parents uh -huh. I think for there's a culture in older generations at least in my family to just it happened let it go, keep yeah. it, keep it quiet. There's no need to talk about it. Why bring it up? Um, which I've talked to my psychiatrist a lot about because I've had a lot of guilt mm -hmm. about telling some of these stories that make my parents look, look pretty bad. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it's what happened and I'm a writer and I wanted to write it down. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really grateful that you did oh, because thanks. I think by you sharing your story, mm. it, it it will give, like, be prepared for a lot of people to come forward and mm. disclose to you in the street. All yeah. right, be prepared for that. People will walk up to you and say, and tell, perhaps for the first time in their life, reveal mm. about something horrible that happened to them as a kid yeah. because they feel they can say that to you. Yeah. And, I, and it's going to come your way. Yeah. Because you're making it okay to talk about it. And mm. it it's, can only be a good thing. Yeah, I hope so. Because shit needs to get dealt with. Mm. Like we said before, the energy has no business being here in my current body yeah. in this 
future moment. Yeah. That's 1986 stuff. It doesn't mm. belong here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, I'm grateful that you're telling this story. Um, and it's not coming from a place of, oh, look how terrible it was. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I tried. I mean, I find it hard not to put a joke on every page. <laughs> so even on the darkest pages, there's a joke, I think. It's but, pretty fucking funny. But um, it's, yeah, it wasn't really about woe is me. It was just about... I don't know. I'm a storyteller, you know? Yeah. I studied creative writing. I went to drama school. I just, I want to entertain people. I think memoirs can very easily slip into, I just wrote a diary and here, read my diary. And I didn't want it to be, like, I wanted to entertain people. I wanted people to want to turn the page. So, yeah. you know, I hope I've achieved that. <laughs> Hopefully the book isn't a complete failure. <laughs> we'll oh, see. Rosie, I don't think you've got anything to worry about. Hope not. I don't think you've got anything to worry about. Thanks, Oshi. Um, thank you so much for making time in your busy day. It's a, it's a Wednesday. It's batch it's day. It's batch day. So uh, you get to watch the episode at 5 o'clock. The show goes to where at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So mm -hmm. do you start writing as you watch the show? Um, I watch it and I take notes and screenshots, sort of write down possible jokes, uh -huh. and then I write it. So I'm usually just finishing as the episode finishes oh wow yeah it's it has to be pretty fast because if i take even 10 minutes to like put it up people are like where, where is, is it? it what's going on I'm like, sorry <laughs> so when the show actually goes to where are you kind of finessing and going yeah i'm just throwing the last pass in yeah 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 like okay. going over and sort of refine refining right. the jokes and yeah so all right well you see where i live tonight really yeah Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's not actually a dungeon. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm just thinking of jokes already. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brain's turning. Tonight's full on. Tonight's... Intruder night. Yeah, uh, tonight's... It is, it is full on. It's amazing. <laughs> it's an amazing episode. I was there for it. I, I watched I watched it all go down. Yeah. I was downstairs um, mm. uh, watching. Yeah. Intense. It's, it's, it's an intense one. It's an intense one. I will say this right now. If you're playing a drinking game, watching Bachelor tonight, and you're supposed to skull anytime someone says, oh, my God, <laughs> you're going to be drunk before the second ad break. Oh, my God. Totes. So excited. Rosie, thank you. I'm going to take your photo. Okay. Great. Unreal. Cool. And that was Rosie Waterland. You can find her on Twitter at R-O-S-I-E-W-A-T-E-R-L-A-N-D. And... Uh, if you go on the Mamma Mia website, you can see her Bachelor recaps on Wednesdays and Thursdays, Australia time, and laugh out loud. Uh, also, her book, The Anti-Cool Girl, is out now wherever you buy books. Uh, if there is a bookshop still anywhere, go there and support them. We'll just buy it online. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great read. It's a heavy read, but it's a great read. It's very funny. Even in the tragic, horrible parts, it's very funny which is, makes it kind of strange to enjoy. She's like, I shouldn't be laughing at this. <laughs> anyway, but that's how she tells the story. So that's it uh, for me for another week. Thank you very, very much for, uh, for being here. Your ace, I hope whatever you are doing this week is going to be good. I hope you're eating well, you're sleeping well, getting your exercise. Oh, some rainbow lorikeets are coming by my window. I love how they fly in pairs. Okay, that's it. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go. Thanks heaps for listening. Your ace. Until I talk to you next week, sleep well, 
and dream of beautiful things. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 